Last weekend, I went to Brasserie. I'm slowly venturing out to eat in person at the restaurants again, as long as it's outside and only with people who are in my very small quarantine squad, checking around to see that they're following the rules and whatnot. Brasserie, if you've never been, it's a charming little French place in the Central West End. It's a restaurant by niche, food group, as in Gerard Craft. Food is always good without being dainty, and it's pretty accessible, but it's not cheap. With such an array of different types of restaurants and vibes in this area, and with white tablecloths being a little less ubiquitous, that's usually one way I classify a place, in my mind, as being fine dining, the price point. The other is often the space itself. Okay, of course, you've got your fine dining staples in St. Louis, like Tony's Downtown with their sprawling dining rooms and a very busy waitstaff, but these days, more often, fine dining chefs are opting for smaller, more intimate settings. Maybe just a dozen two-top tables, or one big bar situated around the kitchen. With fine dining, it's about the experience, just as much as it is about the food. Food which might not taste as good when eaten out of a cardboard box. And so I just kept thinking, why are we doing second best? Why are we doing plan B? St. Louis rethinking fine dining, finding a new plan A in the age of a pandemic. Restaurateurs overnight had to kind of recreate and reconcept their own restaurants. The moves fine dining chefs and restaurateurs are making to stay afloat, how they're keeping it classy, even if that's from the comfort of your car, and what they think this means for the long term. It wasn't top of mind. How do we reinvent fine dining in 2020? Um, but it sure was simmering for a long time, and well, here we are. I definitely would have thought of Indo as a special occasion kind of restaurant, and we're a small restaurant too, so that means we were often pretty reserved uh, or like booked out. Nick Bognar should be pretty comfortable with his identity as a chef these days. Growing up in a restaurant family, and then this year, being named Best New Chef from Food & Wine magazine. So yes, his assessment of Vindo is pretty spot on. Higher price point, tiny dining room, special occasion. Then came the occasion where the place had to pause operations for a while before pivoting to curbside. And I swear everyone I follow on Instagram ordered Indo for takeout, at least within the first week or two of their reopening. It was hard to get through the phones to place an order. But that's just not the business model Indo is built for. There are only so many times people want to order an expensive meal to eat in their own kitchens. And there are only so many quality control efforts his kitchen team can make to ensure the food is presented the way it's meant to be. Last month, Nick opted to temporarily switch up their menu to offer Asian street food. We're gonna have to bring that kind of that price point down a little bit to kind of match everybody's value. And, and I think that this is gonna be very high value for what you get and at the same time, fun and interesting and fresh. Restaurateurs overnight had to kind of recreate and reconcept their own restaurants. This is Casey Schiller, a chef and the professor of hospitality studies at St. Louis Community College. He says even once restaurants were allowed to reopen for dine-in, the fine dining places faced the biggest hurdles 
because of their small spaces. The patrons don't have the ability of sitting down for a multi-course meal um, in kind of very tight quarters. So in some cases, menu changes are necessary to make the carryout option more palatable. Consider this, America's go-to to-go food until this year has been mostly burgers, sandwiches, tacos, food that's easy to eat. It travels well, and you don't have to think too hard about it. Oh, and it's less expensive both to buy and to make. It's why shortly after Logan Ely renamed his restaurant Savage to Shift, listen to the episode we did on that a few weeks ago, by the way, he also changed up the menu. Now, his restaurant is a small, highly curated space in Fox Park. Until announcing this week that the restaurant is going into quote-unquote hibernation for a while until getting back into that dining room is safe again, the kitchen had been cranking out sandwiches, handmade sausages, and whatever else Logan felt would keep them going from week to week. All right, we're going to do barbecue this week, and we're going to do sandwiches next week, and Maybe in two months we sell trampolines or insurance policies. I don't know. Because maybe a patio party featuring pork steak schnitzel and mushroom kolache feels a little more normal than a plate of onion and yeast or pollock with octopus juice. Amid all the changes in fine dining establishments, you'll find the restaurant's core food philosophy, though, has stayed the same. It's how they stay true to themselves and how they keep the brand up. Of course, I mean not including trampolines or insurance policies. That's easier, though, for some restaurant concepts, for some chefs, than others. Here's another example. Bull Rush, the restaurant featured in our very first episode of the pod last year, specializes in Ozark cuisine. And they do it with some self-imposed limitations. All of their ingredients have to be grown naturally nearby. I think only the mind of Rob Connolly would know how to create fine dining out of food gathered by hand along a trail or generate critical acclaim for recipes inspired by a history book. The kitchen of the Grand Center restaurant is zero waste. They compost everything. So I called Rob up to see how they've been able to operate within their, their values, their morals, their, their way of doing things at a time when doing everything has had to change so much. We don't dabble in anything here. We um, we delve deep in everything we do. It's part of my obsessive OCD mind. And uh, when when all of this went down in February and really March, um, my concern was at first survival, like everyone else. And so what that meant was that. Um, We, so we responded like everyone else by going to carry out and, um, and then carry out evolved into family meals. You, you know, we all went through that phase as restaurants where we're going to send you stuff mostly done yeah. for you to finish at home. That was all of us saying, what I'm sending in the box is not going to be as good when you get it home as when I had it leave the kitchen. Okay, so that's why we all went to family meals. And there's also the comfort food idea and whatever. And then we all got to April, we shut down. We reopened and we started doing the family meals again. And um, it was fine, but for my staff, that's just not what we're wired for. We're a fine right. dining restaurant. And, and so I just kept thinking, why are we doing second best? Why are we doing plan B? Um, we need to really rethink this. And it, it's interesting because I know in our first interview, we talked about one of my big underlying goals when we first opened, which was, 
how can we redefine what fine dining looks like in, at that point, 2019, but that's an ongoing thing. So what does fine dining look like in 2020? <laughs> Who knew there'd be a pandemic to add into that mix? And for us, it's like, we didn't know what that looked like. We just knew that it had to be a constant goal. Otherwise, we would fall into routine and stagnation. And, and so we kind of refreshed that thought in our heads as a staff, like, how can we redefine what this looks like? Not going to plan B, not going to second best, but how can we recreate an experience? And so we, we stepped back and said, all right, we are here to give people a special night out. We don't know what that looks like to each person, so we kind of create a situation that helps them do that. And the first thing I thought of was, I hate the fact that my food arrives at their house already damaged. It's not as hot, it's not as cold, it's not as crisp, it's not as beautiful. How can I create a menu that survives that process? And we've added delivery, which a delivered tasting menu. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone's doing that. And, but we just, you know, we signed up with a service that ultimately works through Grubhub. And I, I've heard the horror stories about Grubhub. And, um, and so we redesigned that menu with that in mind had to keep the same quality, had to keep the same beauty, um, but survive, let's say, a 30-minute drive with someone who is just throwing it in the back of their car because they're used to having a burrito to deliver. Right, and also still maintain the other standards, which everything needs to come from close to where the restaurant is. You have that radius where you're actually forging the ingredients. So it's not like you're sitting there just saying, we'll throw some salt on it and call it good. Right. So, so once we worked through the menu, then it was this next thing. It's a special dinner. They're going to open a box. Okay, it's beautiful and it's tasty. And ideally, it's going to be more beautiful, more tasty, more fresh than what they would normally get through delivery or carryout. Um, but not, you know, if you're doing a special night out, especially in the pandemic when you've been locked at home for all this time, you might want to get out, right? Okay, so let's look at how restaurants dealt with the pandemic here in St. Louis. We get through May, people start to reopen at the end of May. We did. We get to June, now everyone's open. We're at 25% capacity, sometimes 50% capacity, sometimes because of the, the big size of our space, but the small number of seats we always wanted. And we only wanted 24 people in our dining room, so that's nothing in a building that has capacity for 100. So we met those requirements easily. We only allowed 16 in a night, which spread them out a little bit more. And we were sold out immediately for, for weeks. The problem is this whole idea of safety, not only for the customers, which is number one, and my staff, um, it's too hard to control. He describes one close call with COVID exposure at a restaurant, actually, that made him realize all it takes is one person to infect his staff to shut the place down. It was too close a call for him. Here's how drive-in fast food places actually inspired his next move. I said, we can't have people in this dining room. So how do we then recreate this bull rush experience, a special night out, in a way that does even better to control the safety? So that led to... Uh, our park and dine, which is the, the end of the story, right? I mean, 
park and dine, uh, you stay in your car. It's like going to the old A&W restaurants or going to Sonic now, except we're going to do a tasting menu in your car. Immediately, I had people say, oh, I'm never going to do that. In my 15 years of goofy ideas, <laughs> because I'm full of them, <laughs> I, had, I had never had people feel the need to verbalize their non-willingness to do one of my goofy ideas. Like, I'm sure people have not wanted to do many of my goofy ideas in the past, <laughs> but they didn't feel the need to say it. Here, we had enough people say it that I was scared. Like, oh my goodness, have I just jumped the shark? <laughs> and so we went ahead and did it. And that first night, I had two cars. That's not unusual, okay? I had one car, and they loved it. They sat in the back of their hatchback, had a little table, and they had the best time. I had the other car, though, pull up. They were a half hour later than the first, and um, we went out and welcomed them, gave them their bottle of water, gave them the drink menu, and the, there was silence in the car. And that's odd. So my, my staff member came back in and said, I don't know what's going on, but they were quiet. I said, well, let's give them a few minutes. They're probably trying to figure out how to make this work, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. new to us. It's new to them. Five minutes later, we go back out. The wife threw the paper menu at the husband and said, I am not all right with this. And my staff member said, oh, I'm, I'll give you another minute and came back in. <laughs> and, she, and she told me that. I said, you watch, they're going to drive away. Now, mind you, we're prepaid experience for that. And sure enough, 60 seconds later, they started up the car and sped off. And I said, oh, boy, that husband is in trouble. Oh. He, he either didn't read all the stuff that we had that said this is an in-car experience or he was trying to surprise her. Either way, he's in the doghouse. I was going to say, either way, that's a rough night at home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that was how we started things, and I just, I was very nervous. The next week, we were sold out except for one spot, and we're only nine spots. So when I say sold out, it's not like the whole city's here. Mm -hmm. And that was the first night where I got the glimmer of what this might be. Um, because, again, we create the scenario, but they create the experience. Right. And so we do the setting. They, they make it happen. And, and so we had a car. Um, they texted us and said, hey, can we bring a table and sit in the back of our car? And I'm like, I didn't quite know what that was going to look like for them. Well, they had one of these short-legged um, Japanese-style tables in the back of a Subaru Outback. Now, I'm yes. six foot three. Like, don't put me in the back of a Subaru Outback. That's <laughs> how, I'd be like this the whole time. And so they, they set up the table and we were serving them in the car. And then a few cars later, um, there was someone who brought a table and chairs and put it on the sidewalk. And then someone else came and they had flowers on their dashboard and someone else set up a, a, a hatchback with a, a blanket in the back and they had a candelabra and flowers. I'm like, I love this, right? I mean, let me put it a different way. Before COVID, you would go out for that special night. Everyone knows what's special to them. But you have to do the restaurant's rules, right? Mm. This is how you're going to do it. This is how the servers are going to interact with you. Here's how you're going to do drinks. Here's how you're going to... With this, they're creating their, their perfect scenario, their plan A, their number one option, not their second best. 
it's been so cool to watch. I mean, we're only in our, this is our, fourth, going into our fourth week. And so we've expanded to two nights now. We started with just Saturday, now we got Friday and Saturday. And seeing how creative people are getting this last weekend, we had someone come in a, a decked out VW bus. Like I saw oh the VW my bus. Gosh. I, thought, I thought, oh, a VW bus, that'd be cool. No, they had gutted the inside. And there's a dining room table and they had special lighting and music playing. And I'm like, this is so cool. I'm like, when is the party bus going to show up? You're going to start is- a tailgate outside of your restaurant. <laughs> when, when's someone going to rent a limo and pull the limo up? I mean, this is so much fun. I mean, we, we tried to think of all the things that we needed to do. We already have YouTube videos of me telling the stories. Uh, we already have a Spotify list so you can listen to the music that we're listening to the kitchen. We already do Zoom so you get the sights and sounds of the kitchen while we're plating and and it's unfiltered me talking to my staff even when they screw up. I'm ah you ever cooked that chicken refire yeah. So you're kind you of live streaming all this too so that yeah. people can get that that's great. Yeah, absolutely. You get you we wanted to make sure you had all sorts of ways to experience what you would have had if you were sitting in the dining room. I didn't realize the creativity the guests were going to bring. And so, you know, it, it, it really goes back to this idea of before you were at the mercy of the restaurant and what the chef and the restaurant wanted you to experience. And there, you didn't have too much wiggle room there. Here, you're still doing some of the stuff we want. Well, that's because I got to feed you and I've got to have things move. And you've chosen um, the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is something I thought, okay, they're, they're going to be here one hour in and out because who wants to sit in a car that long? And so we structure it for a one-hour experience. Very few people do it in that amount of time, not because of us. You know, that food's ready. I, I can get that food out. This is all about they're having a nice night out. The number of people who say, I've been locked up in the house with my kids for six months. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. I, I don't know where this is going to go. It's all too new still. Um, I'm sure there's still the people who will never go to this thing. People who, this, I am not all right with this. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, that that's like, that's the slogan, okay? None of us are all right with this, but we've got to make it work, right? <laughs> well, hey, but again, I want you to have plan A, not plan B. So make it your own. I, I, I can't live, we're a creative restaurant. I can't live on plan B. I need to give you plan A. And I, I want people to come eating plan A, not plan B. And so that, that's uh, what was the question? It was like a half hour ago. <laughs> that, that I don't I, know. I'm this just, is. <laughs> I'm just really excited about how this has evolved. And, and it wasn't top of mind. How do we reinvent fine dining in 2020? Um, but it sure was simmering for a long time. And well, here we are. This is one answer among many that my peers are, are creating right now. In the case of that evening at Brasserie, almost everyone was on the patio. No white tablecloths, but a little plastic baggie to safely store your mask while you're eating. A family was gathered at a nearby table. They were all dressed up. They looked like they were commemorating something. At another, though, a guy wore jean shorts and a t-shirt. In so many ways, with the windows thrown open, tables moved to sidewalks, even streets, fine dining spots have become more accessible during this pandemic. You don't have to be celebrating something to enjoy the meal. But in a year when so many things have been canceled, thousands of Americans have died or been impacted by this tragic virus, our stress levels are high and our morale, collectively, is pretty low. 
can't just the act of getting out and living be a celebration? To me, that's why you need to go out and celebrate. It, it doesn't matter if it's here or somewhere else. It doesn't even matter if it's a restaurant versus going camping or going to an art museum. You got to get out. You got to break free from this heavy blanket that's weighing you down. Um, otherwise, you're, you're going to suffocate. And, and um, you know, it, it, this is a long game here. And you have to take care of yourself in whatever way feeds your soul. And some people, they're not all right with it. <laughs> but other people, they're going to put the table in the back of their Subaru Outback and have one hell of a night. Even with all of these changes happening, though, with these fine dining restaurants, here's another thing they have in common. They all seem to really want to get back to that fine dining model eventually when the time is right. So I don't think that we're spelling out a future with no fine dining. I don't think that the white tablecloth is gone forever. And I think that there are still going to be places for Dory and her husband to go on their birthdays. Producer Dory almost joining me via Zoom once again for this segment of the podcast. Dory, mm -hmm. your first time at Indo was for your birthday, and then you mm -hmm. had it during the pandemic, I remember you mentioning. How would you compare the two experiences? Well, while I love my dining room and I think it's fabulous, it does not <laughs> compare to that experience you get out in a nice, moody, cozy restaurant where you just take in that full experience of everybody around you and the waiters bringing it and the presentation of the food. We miss that a lot during this pandemic, and I cannot wait for the day where I can get back to a nice restaurant where they actually know how to plate food. Like, I'm trying at home, but it's <laughs> not the same. And I think it's um, a good reminder for all of us that when you're thinking about places to order in, maybe the fast casual spots you would normally think of for lunch or a weeknight dinner are one option, but then these fine dining establishments are also financially hurting as well. So support them. You can't just assume that because a restaurant is critically acclaimed or has won all sorts of awards and is usually booked up every night means they're doing okay. Support these restaurants as well if and when you can. All right, let's talk about some food news here. Speaking of upscale, this is something that is looking classy and sassy, and I'm really excited about um, at the top of our news is an opening. Yay. Yay, yeah. This one really intrigued me as well. It's called Lazy Tiger. It's a new cocktail bar from the team behind Retreat, Gastropub, and Yellow Belly. It's open on Euclid in the Central West End. They're calling this a bartender's cocktail bar. So co-owner Tim Wiggins said that they're exploring all of the sort of things that cocktail bartenders are drinking and finding interesting and fun ways to kind of put those out to everybody. Um, besides cocktails, they're also going to have some small bites that are developed by the chef at Yellow Belly. Um, and right now, this speaking of cozy places, this is a tight spot. So they have right now six indoor tables only. Reservations can be made online. They're planning to add outside seating at some point and to-go cocktails, but that's not happening just yet. It, Tim Wiggins is 
well-known actually in the mixology world, I guess you could say. Um, And I actually saw Tim pop out for a second. And so I chatted with him for just a moment, congratulated him on the new space, which already had some people inside. I I think the idea of to-go cocktails in that particular space, I just love it. That's one of my favorite things. So congrats to Tim for the new place. Yeah. And we've got another opening to let everybody know about. St. Louis Colachi is coming to South City next month. This is going to be their fourth location. They also have spots in Crevecore, Baldwin, and O'Fallon. So they specialize in the Central European sweetbread snacks. Um, they have some pretty good sounding flavors. I haven't tried St. Louis Colachi yet, but some of their flavors already include bacon mac and cheese, egg and cheese, s'mores, and gooey butter cake. That'll be pretty nice. I'm excited about that. Yeah, and if um, if you're in the South City area, it's not too far from Chris's Pancake House, so that's kind oh, of good. where it's cool. located. Yep. Um, so we've got another restaurant sort of expanding their horizons. We talked a little bit about this last week with our Indigetti's um, story that we did. This week we've got Grace Meat and Three bottling up their spices now. They call them Top Secret Spices and Blends, Ooh. and they all have great names, okay? Rick's. <laughs> Famous butt rub. What was that again, Dory? (laughs) Rick's famous butt rub. So, you know, like a pork butt (laughs) rub. Okay. Um, They've also got magic sprinkle, howdy rub, south side rib dust, and low country seasoning now available in bottles. I hope they offer some kind of like sampler because I kind of want all of them. The St. Charles pumpkin glow is on still this year. The popular Main Street event is scheduled for October 23rd through 24th. Um, It features hundreds of pumpkins down Main Street. Shops stay open late. Everyone's encouraged to wear costumes. One change this year due to the coronavirus. No candy will be handed out. And they're still encouraging people to practice social distancing and wear masks when possible. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're talking about pumpkins and fall already like so heavily, but... This one sounds kind of tasty. Yeah, I was wondering if you would want to try this one. So there's a dairy in Maine that's come out with a new limited edition milk flavor. It's called maple milk. They're calling this the new flavor of fall. It's from Oakhurst Dairy. They said it was the perfect seasonal variety to add to their flavor milk lineup, which also includes wild blueberry and coffee. I think the coffee one sounds great. Blueberry would probably be good in like cereal, maybe. Yeah. And I think the maple one could be good in cereal too. I think maple could also be good in coffee. Yeah. Dory, what's the best thing you had to eat this week? So, following up on our um, story last week with Amigetti's, I got in contact with Anthony or Anthony Favaza, who's with Amigetti's, got in contact with me. And he's like, well, we got to make this Dory special sandwich that you talked about last week. Yes. So after a little bit of back and forth, we came to the crazy coincidence that Amigetti's sells this brand of chips that's really only available on the East Coast, Utz's chips. And I said, oh my gosh, do you have the crab chips? And he goes, yes, we have the crab chips. So these, these are like, chips that I had in, I don't think we went a day in living in Baltimore without having these crab chips in our cabinet. Wow. They are so good. You can't find them here. And of course, like, what is that? What are the odds that they're selling them at Amigetti's? And I'm like, I want a sandwich with chips on it. 
So he made it happen. He oh made my the, gosh. He made the Amidori special. I don't know how official it is, but he made one for it. me. It was great. It was so good. It had the crab chips on it. If you go there, just get the reg and you want to give it a try, just get the regular Amigetti special. Buy a little bag of the Utz's crab chips, throw them on there, and you will freaking love it. It was so good. I was so happy with that. It was the Amador, so or just straight up make it a thing and call it the Amadori special. And if you're working with a clerk who doesn't know what you're talking about, then educate them and it will be official. <laughs> make it a thing. So mine is something that I've been able to make at home and, um, you know, part of working from home has been kind of changing the, the morning routine and something that's very, 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 very important to mine, like so many other people's morning routines is my cup of coffee. And I recently picked up a bag of Caldi's whole bean, single origin, Colombia Familia Mbachi. Um, it's described as a sweet and tropical coffee from longstanding partner Carlos Mbachi and his family. This coffee tastes like tropical fruits, cane sugar, and orange zest. It, over the weekend, I treated myself with this new coffee that I got from Caldi's. I mean, it was 17 bucks for a bag of it, so it's not super cheap. That's why it's wow. not my everyday coffee. But it was so good that like, I'm tempted as my hump day treat to make myself some now. And it's just having a nice cup of coffee to start your day is a small pleasure that I think is so important still these days. And yeah, having that routine, especially now when so much of our other routines aren't in place, having that cup of coffee that still kind of kickstarts your day is really helpful. All right, so my audio started getting kind of funky sounding during that recording with Dory this morning. So it's a couple hours later, I'm trying to edit the podcast, and I don't want to, I just don't want to put your ears through that icky static sound. So I'm editing out the chat Dory and I had uh, about weekend events going on to bring it to you clean. We're talking about the weekend of September 11th, 12th, and 13th. We have a few ongoing events to share with you guys. Uh, Nine Mile Garden is continuing their outdoor movies on the big screen with the Goonies at 7 o'clock on Saturday. And then Sunday afternoon is the Cardinals game on that same big screen. The streeteries are continuing in the Central West End where the streets will be shut down so folks can wander through with food and drink in hand. And it's actually continuing not only through September, but it's expanded so you can go hit the streeteries on Sunday afternoons from noon to 8 p.m. as well. Saturday is going to be masks and music in Main Street, St. Charles. It is going to be this Saturday and next Saturday. They'll have live acoustic music. People are going to be encouraged to visit the shops and restaurants there and rediscover historic Main Street. Maybe if you had to cancel a trip somewhere and it's been a while since you've gone down to Main Street, St. Charles, give it a visit. Lots of awesome places down there that would love your support. And then Sunday is Taste in Ferguson. The annual event is changing things up to be a drive through only event this year. They'll do boxed meals. You need to buy your tickets online, but then you pull up in line and pick up your food. This is happening at the Savoy Banquet Center on South Florissant Road. And it's a great way to get a taste of Ferguson from your car. It's the theme for this episode. Ooh la la! Ooh la la! Ooh la la! 
Abby Eats St. Louis is a Five on Your Side production. I'm Abby Larico. And I'm Dory Olmos. Special thanks this episode to our colleague, Sarah Maki, who did some reporting for this story. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast where we always strive to offer a fine listening experience, even if that means sending it back to the uh, audio kitchen, I guess you could say. Leave us a rating and review. We love hearing from you. Let us know your thoughts on our Instagram at Abby Eats St. Louis. Have a fabulous weekend. Wash your hands. Keep your distance and seize the plate.